Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. Winning game four, at least pride-wise, made me feel good because you don't ever want to get swept. I'm indifferent to him whether or not he signs it. I'll be uh, hitting Milwaukee for the next five years. If you ask me, can the Bucks win game five? I put it at 40% confidence, yes. To think that, that a season is championship or bust is is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen. You can get game six. You can steal it. Championship or bust. Winning game six and seven. Championship or bust. I don't think they're going to win the whole series, but... There is no enjoyment with this team. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. Joined as per usual by Kyle Carr and Riley Feldman. Fellas, how are we doing? Feeling good. Feeling really good. Not the greatest start to the series, the Eastern Conference Finals. I had tweeted this earlier at, at the start of the series. I've been enjoying it because for me, this doesn't even feel like the Eastern Conference Finals. When do we play the Hawks? It's like mid-March. I don't care. It's a 9 p.m. tip-off in Milwaukee for some reason. So like, I've just been relaxed the whole time. We lost the first game. I was like... We're going to play the Timberwolves tomorrow. Who cares? It's all good to go. So I've been in a good mental place for this series. How about you guys? I cannot say the same thing. I was like, okay, cool. You just went through all of this nonsense to go and face the Nets. You win in game seven in dramatic fashion. You finally like got over the hump of you didn't play your best, but you still found a way to win a series. Good job. And you go into the Eastern Conference Finals and you think, all right, you're going to use this momentum that you get from the Game 7. You have home court advantage. You should just be able – like, I didn't expect them to blow the Hawks out. But to go in and treat it like it was a freaking March Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. that's being displayed on NBA TV – no, like that's not okay. Like it was the Eastern Conference Finals, and you're just lollygagging around. It's like you need to stop being unserious. And I had said in the stupid preview in our roundtable preview of the series, Milwaukee will lose because they're going to be an unserious basketball team. And what do they do in game one? They become an unserious basketball team. So now that things have gotten better, I'm in a better mood. But no, I was very pissed off after game one. That's really well said. This is the NBA TV Eastern Conference Final. Eastern Conference Finals. That's that's such an apt way to put it because every game it feels like, you know, it could be playing opposite of Magic Wizards or something, but Magic Wizards gets the national broadcast for some reason. So that's a very well way, good way to put it. Yeah, we were a couple bounces of the balls away from probably this being potentially the three six anyway, with the the Hawks slotting into that. So yeah, that that would have felt right at home on NBA TV. But alas, it is on national broadcast, so we got to get clowned after losing Game One by everyone, and Trey Young went off on us. But the Bucks have bounced back with a two uh, one series lead now. Of course, the latest game we're recording this on Monday evening was a Game Three one thirteen to one o two victory. 
Bucks really snatched this one in the fourth quarter, namely Chris Middleton, who outscored the Atlanta Hawks 20-17 to in the fourth. But uh, up until that point, I would say pretty rough going for the Bucks. beyond, uh, you know, Giannis played pretty well and was able to keep them close. Bobby Portis had a nice game and was able to keep it close. But uh, the, the name of the game three, Kyle, was obviously Chris Middleton pulling it out for the Bucks uh, in the fourth. Oh, yeah. The, this is the Chris Middleton game. I know we saw this during game six. Um, but this was, I think, the Chris Middleton game in terms of Milwaukee could not seem to get out of its own way. It started off poorly. They couldn't get anything going. It's a miracle they're only down five after the first quarter. And you think, okay, they're going to turn it around. They haven't hit a three. It's fine. And then the second quarter happens, and they kind of tie the game, and then they blow the lead, and then it's tied again. All right, cool. You're tied at halftime despite offensively being kind of ass outside of the paint and defensively if you just clean some stuff up you'll be fine and then he got to the third quarter and once again it's like you just can't seem to pull away and then the fourth quarter it felt the same way they were down like 88 95 or something like that like it looked grim and this and while Trey Young was out they couldn't take advantage the Neil Gallinari decided to be really really good for some reason I don't know why that happened but is what it is and you're kind of thinking to yourself Someone's on Milwaukee's got to do something and no one can hit shots. No one can do anything outside of the paint. And then Chris Middleton decides, you know what? I'll, I'll be that guy. I will take those shots. I will hit those. And you hit a three and it's like, okay, cool. You get a three back, back into it. Tucker gets a steal, gets it to Conniton. All right. You're making some moves. And then Chris is like, I'm going to take it from here, guys. Like, just give me the ball. Just unconscious for like a four minute stretch. It was Chris Middleton versus the whole Atlanta Hawks and the fact that he outscored them that whole quarter it was it was one of the most impressive streaks of Bucks basketball because we are used to the Bucks going and having a run out of nowhere and then they suddenly have a lead like we saw that the last two years like this team could just automatically just flip a switch and next thing you know they are running away with this game but it was not necessarily the team it was pretty much Chris Middleton he got the Bucks the lead, and then once he did, he was hitting a couple of tough fadeaways and step backs, just putting dagger after dagger. I think I said at one point the Hawks, it was after a timeout, and Atlanta decided not to foul Chris, and then he just proceeds to hit a step back jumper. And it's like, I don't, it, it for a quarter in Bucks playoff basketball, that was probably the most impressive thing we saw. And I mean, Chris was not playing as not playing great. He was playing all right going into that, but he had a couple like turnovers at the beginning of the fourth quarter. And then you think, huh, I don't know. I don't know about this man. And then he does that. And it was, it was so impressive just watching that and seeing him get hot. And it's like, that's, you want to shoot yourself. You got to shoot your way into games. And that's one of the criticisms we have of Chris was he kind of just shied away from the big moment when the Bucks needed him. He kind of vanished. And then this time he does the opposite. When the Bucks needed him, he thrived. And just like in game six and just like in game seven, he just keeps doing it. And this is a good, and considering how rough he was the first two games of the series, to see him have this kind of bounce back is very encouraging. So good on Chris Middleton. I'm happy for it. Um, just please keep doing that for the rest of the postseason. This was Chris Middleton, his max contract portion of his career. It was encapsulated perfectly in this game where the game is sort of like teetering on the edge. The Bucks need to have somebody step up. Um, Giannis 
credit to Giannis and the rest of the team in that they went into the paint nonstop. Like they weren't hitting from three, but it wasn't a, all right, well, just keep shooting from three. Something's going to fall. The reason why the Bucks were in that position was between Bobby, Giannis, Brooke, um, a little bit of Drew, everybody going inside of the paint and scoring there. So credit to the team for strategically not giving up on that and just like the Hawks got nothing for us, let's do it. And then Chris, the first like three minutes of the fourth quarter, everybody, the Bucks are already moving at a million miles an hour because I think they felt it like we did. It's like if they just play okay for a couple minutes, they're going to take away, like snatch this game, no problem. But then they just, they were moving too fast, sloppy, passes were bad. Chris had like multiple, like a jump ball that he like, you know, a couple of like layup opportunities that he, for whatever reason, decided to pass out of a la Ben Simmons. And then like Kyle was saying, he just, he loses his mind. And that's, I, I think, uh, David Dunn, 21 to Tonya world. He, he always tweets the, uh, who's, who's the character from Batman. I can't Two-face, remember. Harvey Dent. Two-face. Yes. Harvey Dent, where it's Chris Middleton, then, you know, Harvey Dent, crazy guy, Chris Middleton. Uh, that was that quarter for him. And you know what? The good Chris Milton showed up. And like you, like you were saying, Kyle, um, in the past, it, there was so much talk from the Bucks of, well, you know, we trust Chris in the end. We trust him to hit those shots, all those sorts of things. But they would get him those shots off of design plays, or he would be the guy if it was like a close game and he had, a, had to run a play out of the timeout um, or an inbounds play, he would be the guy. It's a different thing to be that than to also be the guy who actually within the flow steps up, game is on the line, every shot is going to have to count one way or the other, and you just say, I've been playing bad, he takes over, and he goes possession, possession, possession. I, I'm probably going to pull up like the uh, the box score here in a second just to see how that went, but it, that's the difference of this Chris Middleton is, yes, he's still streaky. Yes, he still doesn't have a great handle. Yes, he makes some poor passing decisions, but the mentality that we've asked for him to show in the past, that seems to be more there, there now. And if he's going to be like that, and Giannis is going to be on the stretch that he's been on for, I mean, we haven't talked about all that much. He's been on a crazy stretch for about a month now in the playoffs. Um, That's a good recipe for success for us. Yeah, I actually do have the play-by-play of what happened. So Agonu for Atlanta hits a floater. Hawks are up 88, 95-88 with seven minutes and 32 seconds. Then Chris hits a three. PJ Tucker gets a steal. Pat Connaughton gets a layup. Chris Middleton three. Chris Middleton step back. Chris Middleton three. And at this point, now the Bucks have taken the lead with five thirteen left. Um, Giannis hits a step back jumper, and then Chris Middleton layup. Chris Middleton pull up. <laughs> Giannis had a turnaround fadeaway. Giannis hits one of two free throws. Chris Middleton step back. Drew Holiday has a free uh, the Bucks win. <laughs> that's so funny. I love that. That's what a fun play, like play by play sequence. You should just copy and paste that. That you pin that tweet. That's a good one. I like that a lot. Yeah, and I mean, it speaks to his series though that after that heater for the series, he's still at forty three point five percent overall, twenty eight point six percent from three. Right? <laughs> that is cra- that is crazy that he he got that hot and he's still he was still so clearly struggling up to that point. I, I, I mean, everything you guys said, the, the passes in the beginning were frustrating. He was so clearly just trying to overpass some of the – the Bucks were, were guilty of that too many times down low uh, underneath the basket. That was really frustrating. But kudos to him for, for shooting out of it. I mean, we haven't seen him always do that in the past. He didn't just settle for, you know, a 8-4-17 night or something. He was like, okay, I just need to keep shooting. I want the ball. 
as, as Giannis said, post game, we're going to get him the ball. We're going to trust Chris to get us out of this. And he clearly led them that way. And the, the interesting thing about the, the, the whole, you know, sort of who's the closer argument is we've seen, we, we've seen obviously Chris do this and it, it, it just is, it, it flips honestly from game to game. So we saw Drew Holiday obviously make some, he's, he, he isn't the sort of prototypical closer because he hasn't been around the team that long, but he also has made some of the biggest buckets for this Bucks team, this, this postseason too. Uh, and he was obviously huge in games one and two, really faded in game three, six points was tough. Didn't seem to show the same aggression, um, but it, really I, I think it all loops back to Giannis Antetokounmpo, who we need to talk about, who is probably the, the interesting part was that Chris Milton took over the narrative, but Giannis has really been the the engine driving this team for a long time. We, we've asked for him to step up. We pleaded with him to step up and he has done that. And then some, I think he had, he nearly had that stretch of, of however many 30 plus points and 10 plus rebounds. And I mean, he has been the constant Riley throughout Basically, since the midway point of that net series, he has been a constant engine of production for this team uh, at a level that we are we have more than asked for for the last couple of years. Yeah, it's there was that um, the game two debacle and game one, two in the net series. There was still a lot of like plays where it seemed like he was either forcing things. He was doing stupid three pointers, which I still think everybody can agree is still essentially a turnover for the Bucks at this point, even if he wants to take those. Um, and for whatever reason, he either settled down. Um, I don't know if it's a self-belief thing. I don't know if it's what he's been working on. It's not so much that he's doing the thing that he did all regular season where he was wheeling and dealing, you know, where he would start slowly getting in position, kick it out, or like, you know, it wouldn't be the bum rush, throw yourself into three defenders, and because the defense is literally just like collapsed on you, then you throw it out to somebody. Um, it, it seems so much more methodical and some of the shots that he's taking and making, uh, again, the three pointers I would advise against, but some of the paint moves, some of the turnaround, the faders, the things that he's doing, um, baseline jumpers. And then on top of all of that, we've had stretches in the past where Giannis gets inside, uh, either he doesn't expect to, or like he's surprised by the fact that he gets to the rim and he'll like blow an easy layup or something like that that's pretty much not happening at all as of like the past couple of weeks. And if that's going to be the case, it's going to go a long way to powering the team. I have his uh, numbers so far through the three games of this series, at least. So he's averaging 30.7 points a game on 37 minutes played a game. Uh, his shooting splits uh, 59.4 from the floor, a stunning 14.3 from three, <laughs> and he's shooting 60% from the free throw line uh, with 10.7 rebounds and 6.3 assists. It's amazing that he's, I think it was like on like 2.5, three-point attempts a game. Amazing that he's shooting that poorly from there. He's been shaky from the free throw line, and yet he's doing so much else elsewhere, recognizing what his strengths are and not trying to buy into being what somebody else wants him to be. Um, that's going a long way to putting us in a good position. And this is just him, I think, doing the full self-actualization, the maturity. He knows it's his moment. He's, he doesn't have an MVP award or anything. He doesn't have anything to play for there. Um, so I don't know. I just think it's kind of everything coming together at the right time for him and for us, thankfully. Pretty much Milwaukee doesn't win game three. I know Chris gets a lot of the plotted, but Milwaukee is not even close within game three, if not for Giannis, just absolutely destroying the Hawks in the paint. He like that was the one thing you knew was going to work. And it was the same thing against the Nets. 
you just give the ball to Giannis, let him get in the paint, and he's going to score. It, no one can stop him. The biggest hurdle is himself at the free throw line, and even then, he's doing all right there. We'll talk about that later. But just the – I think it's just the decision-making has substantially improved. I mean, he took two threes. I would not have wanted him to take either of those. One of them he pretty much airballed, and then he drains the other one. And you know what? Okay, fine. In game two, it I mean, that was a blowout, so taking three threes is whatever. But same And like game one, it's just like – his decision making has helped Milwaukee so much in terms of kind of like what I, don't, I think Riley said it earlier. Instead of just shooting your way out of problems, just go to the hoop, just get in the paint. They can't, and you're going to get a basket every single time. And his defensive impact, you know, when he gets switched on to Trey Young, he's doing a pretty good job there. Bullshit calls aside, um, when he he's pretty much everywhere on the court. His passing has been good. His rebounding has been huge. It's been I feel like his stretch of play right now, we've just been so used to that now that it's happening in the playoffs, we're still so used to it because it's like, okay, yeah, Giannis got 30 points and, you know, 10 rebounds. That's a normal night for Giannis. Like, none of that is absolutely surprising where it's like, well, now he's doing it in the playoffs and we've asked him to be the best player in the series. And so far, he's been the best player in the series. And like I said, after Brooklyn, he might not have been the best player in the series, but he played a damn good series anyway. Like, you can't take that away from him. And that's been the thing this whole postseason is he's been the best player this entire postseason start to eventual finish. He's been the best player, you know, through all the rounds other than two games against Brooklyn. You pretty much can't really point to what Giannis is doing and making it a huge fault or the biggest reason why Milwaukee can't win. Sometimes he plays pretty well and Milwaukee still loses because of, you know, factors that he has no control over. And I don't know. I'm just, it's kind of just funny just watching him do this because I feel like we're all just so accustomed to it that we're, we acknowledge it and we, we love it, but we don't, I, I don't think it's being talked about enough in terms of all time great postseason runs. Yeah. I just, so I just went ahead and did all the stats from the playoff run so far. This is through 14 games. Uh, so he's averaging 29.2 points a game uh, in about 38.3 minutes. Yes, shooting splits 54.6 from the floor. Another sterling number from three, 18.5% overall since the playoffs began. 55% from the free throw line with 13 rebounds, 5.4 assists, uh, a steal, and a block per game. Uh, you know, the main thing that I've noticed, and it's probably more so that I haven't noticed, is I remember in game seven or a couple of the Nets games where he would start off a game. We've been in a rock fight the entire series, and he would seem so predictable with what his offense was going to be on a possession-to-possession basis. You know, he would line it up. You could see him prepping himself like, I'm going to go through Blake Griffin, and that would give the Nets enough time to work around and be like, okay, I'll just build the wall or whatever. Or you could see pretty clearly that his intention was to kick the ball out right away. And so it was very formulaic. It was sort of predictable, things like that. And ever since then, either his teammates are getting him in good position or against the Hawks, I don't know what the Hawks are doing. They're just letting whoever's guarding him man to man, they're just letting that dude die out there. Like they just, all all the Hawks stood there and were like, all right, John Collins, good luck. And they just watched Giannis eviscerate him. I was really not impressed by Atlanta's defense in that, I know that they were having foul trouble. I know you can only have Capella for so many minutes out there, and it's tough if Brooke is going to stretch the floor and things like that. Um, but no matter, Giannis is taking what the defense is giving him, and he is 
scoring efficiently. He's throwing the ball around efficiently. Um, like you said, Kyle, it, it won't get talked all that much until we probably, it doesn't, whatever, this stupid free throw conversation has taken up so much of the oxygen in the discussion um, that it, it's a real shame because I think there's a lot to see here that people should really enjoy. I mean, he still does like the crazy dunks. It's still fun watching him do like turnaround jumpers and somehow getting him to go still fun watching him like smack the ball out of the air. Like there's just so much about Giannis. that's fun as like a neutral to watch that it's, it's a, you know, it's a letdown that people aren't getting a chance to enjoy that part of it. Yeah. When you look at his numbers in the series, he's 30 of 42 in the restricted area, 71%, which actually might be a little <laughs> lower than his, his uh-huh. regular season, which is yeah. crazy. Um, this is a big one. Six of 11 in the paint, non-restricted area. He's, he's had that little floater going and he, he hit a couple of those in, in game three that were huge. I think just what we've seen from him is just so much more patience. I mean, we saw him just barrel his way into walls of defenders the last couple postseasons. We saw it at times in, in, in the net series and he's just flummoxed. He's not sure what to do. They get their hands in there. Atlanta, as you said, Riley, no idea that they haven't they, that they can't figure out his spin move. He's done the spin move for years. Mm-hmm. Teams have figured it out the last couple of postseasons. It's crazy they haven't been able to figure it out. But even when Giannis has done the spin move, there there was this amazing play against Capella where he he does the spin move. Capella basically stops him. Giannis has to do like a quick pivot, a step through, like a pirouette, and he gets him uh, on the pirouette on the counter move to that with a layup on the left side. I mean. His moves, his repertoire in the paint and in the post are so much more refined than what they've been in the past. And and he's turning those also into anytime they start to dig down a little bit, especially anytime Chris Middleton's on the same side as him and it's basically an empty corner play. So it's Chris and Giannis on one side, everyone else is on the other. If they dig down at all, Giannis is passing directly to Chris and then Chris is going to take the three. He hasn't paid it off too much in this series, but that is just a go-to play that Giannis has been able to figure out and he doesn't need to barrel into defenders. And Atlanta is not building a wall in any form or fashion. And then on the other end, I do really want to talk about his defense. It's been interesting, Kyle, to see the Bucks go small. They're using Giannis at the five. Obviously, it worked fairly well in game one besides the offensive rebounding issues. And then it really helped bring them to a win in game three. But uh, Giannis at the five has really helped unlock the, the all switching lineups. And, and it seemed to to flummox a little bit of what Atlanta wants to do offensively. It's weird because, yeah, I feel like Bud uses that Giannis at the five when it's like, okay, none of this is working. We need to get this win, so we're going to try it. Because in game two, they didn't do Giannis at the five. Like, Brooke Lopez played so well that he just – I mean, by then, Milwaukee's able to run, get the lead and run away with it. But in game three, it was kind of – Brooke wasn't – it wasn't necessarily that he was playing that bad. It's just he did not have as much of an impact as he did in game two. So then Bud going with Giannis at the five, it works pretty well with the switching. You kind of just have to make sure, okay, don't let Trey Young get his floater and don't let him bait you at the fouls. Make the other guys beat you. And I think that's a lot of why that Giannis at the five lineup can work so well is because you can switch Giannis up to Trey Young and you'll be fine. You can switch PJ Tucker onto him, Pat Connaughton, like anyone on the floor can at the very least stay in front of Trey Young, which is good because then you either force Trey Young to take bad shots. Or you make him give it to a John Collins or Gallinari or Bogdan Bogdanovich. Like you ha- it forces them to be able to do something, and so far they haven't. And I think that's been the biggest thing. And yeah, other in game one, if they had gotten a few, if they had just grabbed some rebounds, they probably win that game as well. Like that's probably the most frustrating part. And I, 
I was annoyed this morning when I woke up. I was like, this should be 3-0 because if they just rebounded and taken the game seriously, this would be a 3-0 lead at the moment. So until, again, until some other player on the Hawks finds a way to get going, and Gallinari might have just used that up in game three with his tough shot express. Like that might have been it for Gallinari. But if Milwaukee can continue doing this and the Hawks don't have an answer, it's pretty much going to be come down to Ken Trey Young, Paula, Kevin Durant, and I don't, and I think that's what Milwaukee wants him to do is try and be Kevin Durant, try and pull up 25, 30 foot threes, try and force passes into the pocket and force turnovers, make him take all the shots and don't involve his teammates to set up that could potentially be open in the corner. I, uh, the thing when I'm like looking at the Hawks though is, I mean, they probably want Trey Young to be KD too because everybody else that's around him out there, they're not doing a lot for him. Uh, it, and that's by design. He orchestrates a lot. I think what's been most impressive about Giannis on defense is, yes, it, going small with him at the five, or even when Brooke is out there, his ability to do the switch and then he immediately seals Trey off. Trey is athletic, but he's not like, um, I don't think he necessarily has like the speed to just like run right past Giannis. And so Giannis seals him. He gets him in front of him. Trey does a lot of like the dribble moves and things like that. And then at that point, it's like, Giannis, can you stay disciplined to stay on the ground, to keep your arms wide, to be ready for whatever? And he's been that pretty much the whole series. Giannis, the size alone, he shuts off any possibility of there being a lob over the top. And as soon as he seals him off, as long as Trey doesn't get him to, you know, bite on a jumper or on a on a pump fake, that's a good possession. And then it, it forces, again, Trey to, like, make a decision. Okay, you're stopped. You're at the elbow. You got this fucking giant dude in front of you with like, <laughs> you know, huge arms. And like, where is your passing lane from there? Unless it's literally just back out and restarting the offense from there. And then on top of all of that, uh, Danilo Gallinari, he called his number a lot in game three. Um, and I think part of that is it's so tempting when Pat is out there. This is the part where we now let's bring in the third star, Pat Connaughton. Let's talk about our third star. Uh, he, it's so tempting, I'm sure, when you're Danilo Gallinari and you probably have like whatever six, seven inches on Pat to be like, okay, I'm isolated with this guy in the wing. Trey, you don't have to work too hard. You pass it to me. And the Hawks also did like a lot of Trey off ball stuff in game three, which I don't get either. Um, but then Pat any of the defenders they have to stand tall in front of that big guy and for the most part pat did pretty well there was a lot of tough jumpers that danilo made but for the most part there were no like easy shots or uncontested shots you were getting and it that's was the thing throughout game three was atlanta felt like they were hitting a lot of like unsustainable shots and then the fourth quarter comes through yes trey was injured that has something to do with it um injured uh, and then they just run out of steam that the tough shot express just ran out of steam. And then the bucks took over at that point. And that was kind of like the theme through game three, but also in game two and a little bit of game one, um, except for when it, obviously Trey was doing quite well with the floaters, but they've adjusted enough. Milwaukee has to take that away. And it's been tough going for the Hawks ever since. Yeah. I kind of said, this feels like game four against Miami where you're playing you're playing pretty bad, but you're still in this game and you've taken the best shot you can from the opposition. And now you use the second half to win that game. And maybe it took Milwaukee a little bit longer. It got to the fourth quarter, but it was the same thing. It was like Milwaukee couldn't hit a shot. Atlanta was hitting everything. They got off to that hard start. The refs are putting Chris in foul trouble, not giving Chris any benefit of the call. Like everything was going against Milwaukee. And yet they were still in the game enough that once they 
put together their run. I was like, all right, that's it. That's the win. And it was the same thing with Miami. It was like, okay, you made it to halftime and Milwaukee just stepped on their throat and ended that. So it could be, this could be the turning point where you can now seeing the Bucks winning five makes a lot more sense because it's like you've taken probably their best shot and you were able to thrive and hell game one could have gone that same way where you taken their best shot and now you can walk away with it. Yeah, that, that, that the game one frustration is definitely still there, but game three, we did have another supporting character who, who dove in, flew in, made his presence known. Bobby Portis was a massive presence in game three and scored, game two and game, and two. game two and game two. He's, Obviously, kudos to that guy for basically being unplayable against the Nets for the final three games and then coming off the bench and just being by, by maybe not by far, but definitely the most productive in terms of offensively bench player so far. So 15 points, also an impressive four personal fouls in 17 minutes for Bobby Portis, obviously made his presence known on that end as well. But it has it was interesting to me to hear him basically come out and say, I don't like playing. Drop drop coverage. I don't mm-hmm. like playing drop coverage after we basically shoehorned him into it the entire season. <laughs> Suddenly we come out in the conference finals. We we could, we could tell we could tell that he didn't like the drop coverage because it was just it was a disaster every time. So I can't blame him. I we were saying the same thing. It doesn't look like he likes the drop coverage. No, no. It, so so kudos to him. Kudos to Bud, who obviously made him do it the whole year. Then is like, all right, okay, whatever, Bobby. Well, <laughs> we'll maybe try and optimize you here and let you do something else. And I mean, whatever, he might get blown by a little bit, but like he's a, he's like a near seven footer who's trying to guard guards potentially on the perimeter. And I, I thought he's shown nice energy in terms of defensively and, and being active and and at least showing and, and giving Trey and the other guards a little bit of extra look. But I mean. Riley, this guy has been a, a spark offensively, and in this series, uh, just absolutely massive given the, the the dearth of scoring that we just saw in the last series from the bench. Yeah, this uh, this whole playoff run has just turned into like the Riley apology tour for all these guys <laughs> who I was like, oh, this guy, he's, I can't believe he signed Bobby Portis. Hey, I'm glad we signed Bobby Portis. I think it, what was so fun about game three is, um, and we saw this all season, He's so radically different on offense from what Brooke does in that as soon as the ball comes off, so if the opposing team takes a shot and like it goes off the rim, he's immediately like head down sprinting the other direction, which to be fair, that's what I do in like NBA 2K. I'm like, I'm getting these easy buckets. I'm cherry picking on the other end. And that's essentially what's Bobby. Bobby's obviously got way more skill than that, but he punctures the defense just by the fact of how many baskets in like the second and third quarter came his way because he just ran down the court and like John Collins wasn't keeping up or he couldn't get good position. And then Bobby just like, okay, layup, Bobby dunk, Bobby from three, whatever it is. I think, yes, he, it's not that he doesn't have heart on defense. It's just a positioning thing. It's how it's been all season. But when you're a team that Brooke has been kind of hit or miss the series for a lot of different reasons, um, and so it, and PJ's already out there. So you needed a big to step up. You want to give these guys at least a couple of minutes of rest credit to you, Bobby. You did it. You came out at least through whatever three games here, you come out, you've been productive in the ways that we need. Um, yeah, it's good. Yeah. I had said at the beginning of the season, Bobby probably will be the best non-Drew pickup and I am correct. And it's great. I, I do need to apologize <laughs> to Pat content again, because 
wow, you've definitely proven me wrong. Good, good on you. Um, mm-hmm. But no, it's Drew was doing it in game two where Atlanta, especially Trey Young, they would just like kind of just watch the shot and they neither would go get back on defense or crash the rim. And that just allowed Drew and then Drew, especially in game two, Bobby in game three, they just get down the other end of the court. And as long as you can make a pass to them, they get the layup or most of the time there's one guy and Bobby's, you know, got four or five inches on that guy. So he's able to just get an easy, like get a tough bucket as well. So it was kind of a thing where it's like, those are two guys where Bobby always will get down the court and he's going to get in his spot. And if he's not there, if you don't get him the ball in his spot, that's fine. He'll pop up to the corner. He'll be ready. Like he's always ready on offense, which is something that even when Milwaukee struggles, you kind of need that kind of guy where, you know, Michael Beasley was kind of that guy you know, a couple of years ago. Where it's like, he comes off the bench. He's going to do one thing. He's going to get the ball. He's going to take shots. He's going to make sure that he is ready to go on offense. Defense, you know what? He's doing a decent enough job on Trey Young. He's not gotten, you know, embarrassed too many times. He's stuck with Trey a couple times. But on offense, that's why Milwaukee got him. That's why he is justifying the playing time that he is because he can pretty much take a bench unit and make them a formidable force. I don't think it could be understated how uh, big he, PJ, Drew have all been in terms of also the cultural cachet and the uh, cultural strengthening the team has had. Um, Not to say that in the past they would immediately fold upon, like they get a gut punch and the team folds. But, you know, respect to you, Marvin Williams. You weren't out there getting ready to choke a dude out to try and inspire (laughs) the team. It's not that Bobby's doing that either, but there's definitely a different level of how do you quantify toughness? How do you quantify willingness to win or like, you know, gritting down, biting down in the mouthpiece and like just going back out there and, you know, throwing some haymakers, even though the game is close and things like that. Uh, I don't think Giannis, Giannis, I mean, they all are kind of that guy, but it's different when you're very vocally that guy. Uh, PJ Tucker is very vocally, very obviously that guy. I think Bobby, um, like you said at the start, Adam, Good on him. I think he's been a great teammate. I'm sure it's tough for a lot of guys where it's like, you know, he's got an eye on his free agency. He could be at least, um, you know, he, he thinks he should have a bigger role or like he's deserving of a big role. And yet he plays to whatever the team is, the team need is. He comes in and he's immediately productive. I mean, that's inspiring to me. You know, a guy who stays ready. That's what we talk about all season. Can you stay ready? It's not necessarily next man up, but like if you get called, are you ready for it? And he was. So, uh, yeah, all the way around. I'm not sure how it's going to get continue to be used. But if he keeps scoring, he's going to keep playing, which I'm cool with. So. Yeah. I mean, especially when Atlanta is giving, when they're getting contributions from Gallo, I mean, he's, he's making tons of tough shots. John Collins is shooting absurd in this series. I had these, I had these numbers up. So he's, <laughs> about the two. Yeah. I was like, this is a, yeah, he's crazy. Nine of 10 from the restricted area, four of six in the non, in the paint, non-restricted area, six of six from mid range. Not as good from three, which is fine, but six of six from mid range is crazy. But I, 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 you know, the thing is with the with what the Bucks are doing defensively, especially the last two. The first game was just they let they let Trey Young get into doing whatever he wanted. In the second half, he took over. He was able to become a playmaker, and the Bucks weren't weren't shutting off anything that he was trying to do. Last two games, they've clearly shut off his ability to be a playmaker. Four assists and three assists in two games. That's, that's really small. And then nine turnovers in game two as well. I mean, absolutely incredible performance by Brooke Lopez and the team as a whole. But when they're able to force him to just be the scorer, 
when the Hawks need another bucket, basically they, their offense is reliant upon Kevin Herter kind of trying to do like a mini Middleton impression and then hoping John Collins and Danilo Gallinari hit a really long mid-range shot and maybe a three. And the only time, the, the frustrating part about the beginning of game three was just how much the Bucks screwed up their defensive execution after what we just watched in game two. I, three screwed up switches in the first quarter like that is just absolutely insane to me they figured out a great method to switch one through four and it was working out very well with lopez in the drop it worked really well in game two and then all of a sudden they screw like three of those up in game three it was infuriating to me that 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 happened given the level that they're at this team showed that they can play at an incredibly high defensive level and that was quite frustrating in game three hopefully they're able to maintain that energy moving forward because there were just so many miscues early in that game that it, like we said, wasn't really a game that the Bucks had any business winning, but thankfully they were able to pull through in the end because that would have been quite frustrating given how they started it out. It wasn't even just the miss switching. It was also the turnover. It's like they started with two turnovers to start the game and then they get a third. I was like, what the hell are you? How do you end up this flat? You knew this was going to be a hostile environment. You knew Atlanta was going to come at it. The crowd was going to get into it. Like you damn well knew this was going to happen and you still just completely start off too slow. It was not. And it wasn't even that at least in game one, it was just the Bucks just looked like. They did not realize it was the Easter Conference Finals. In Game 3, they knew it was the Easter Conference Finals and then, like, wet themselves immediately. Like, oh, (laughs) there's a crowd here. Okay, this is not Brooklyn where it's like, yes, there's a crowd, but it's not the same type of crowd. It's not Miami where, you know, you got a bandwagon. Like, this is not a bandwagon crowd. Like, these fans actually are here. They've been with the team through a lot of bad years. Like, they are ready for this moment. And Milwaukee was not ready. And that the fact that they just started as poorly as they did it was kind of a okay guys why does this always happen every single big game like game one or game three even game seven against brooklyn it was always the how do you keep letting this happen stop letting this happen and happen in the second half as well like they came out flat in the second half too and i was like what the hell are you guys saying before the match like or the game like what are you saying before tip off what are you saying in the locker room because that shit's not working Giannis before the game was like, guys, how funny would it would be if we gave him a nine point lead and then we just <laughs> we won the game anyhow. How funny would that be? Uh. I think so. Yes, we do need to criticize the Bucks. Um, but at a certain point, I mean, they're still winning the games, right? Isn't that that's at the end of the day, they're in the Eastern Conference Finals. And yes, they've had they've had moments. There were moments in the next game. How many times throughout those games were like, this is not going to be good enough. This is not going to be good enough to win. This is not going to be good enough to win. And yeah, here they are regardless. I think uh, there is a certain level of stupidity to this team. That's obvious. That's just in the DNA of the team. Um, and that's just been here since time immemorial. But on top of that, they they keep finding ways to win. Yeah, sure. Maybe Chris going supernova for four minutes is not going to be sustainable or something you can rely on every game. But even when things are rough going, they're finding the little niches to be able to keep themselves moving forward. A lot of that is on Giannis's back. Um, in the first two games, a lot of that was Drew playing well. Drew did not play well, and yet they still found a way to stay in contact, even if they were playing dumb, turning the ball over, giving up wide open threes all over again. My heart sank. A couple of those open threes for Atlanta, I was like, oh, no. 
they figured it out. I was like, this can't happen. Not like this. Um, and it, think of how much of a swing that is to go up to one to steal that game on the road versus if we're ca- talking today, we're down one, two, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's going to be a dogfight to get through in, you know, seven games or something. So I, I think credit to the Bucks, Yes. They could have made it a lot easier themselves as evidenced by game two where they're able to, if they put it together, they just demolish teams. And yet, even when they don't do that, they find ways to win. And that's what matters most until you get to the very end and you're holding the freaking trophy. So uh, good on you, Bucks, I guess. Yes, there is a luxury of you are talented enough that you can do that, <laughs> but you are also playing with fire. And right uh-huh. now, good Lord, you are Icar- the Milwaukee Bucks are Icarus right now, and they're flying really fucking close to the sun. And uh-huh. It hasn't gotten them burned yet, but they might literally get burned by the suns in the finals if they get to that point. <laughs> oh my God, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yes. Okay, yes. The Bucks definitely need, definitely deserve credit. I think we've given them a lot of credit. I thought they got I thought some of the criticisms in the net series were a little unfair, especially with some of the offensive stuff. I, I have to say, yes, the Nets weren't a good defensive team, but I think they were probably pretty okay in terms of just like mm-hmm. switching everything against the Bucks. Like I, I, I know we won't have another test case and all we're going to have is whatever the Celtics series was. And they had that, I'm not sure what their offensive rating was and they had that good game, but honestly, if I was the Nets, I wouldn't have taken the Celtics seriously either in the first round. So well, no, the Celtics are an unserious franchise as a whole. Yeah, like no. they're a bunch of bums. Yes. yes. Sure. Thank you. Yes. So I, I think in retrospect, the Nets defense looks a little bit better than what everyone had said coming into the playoffs, which I, I would just like to have that noted for the record, but you are right, Riley, the Bucks deserve plenty of credit for pulling out these wins because they are honestly the type of games when they went down 95, 88, my, my brain told me, Okay, well, this is Bucks. They will lose this one. I don't. I couldn't have expected them to win. I, I it, honestly, some of these wins that they're having are blowing my brain because I, I just presume that they're going to lose it. We should talk about Drew Holiday, who was pretty spectacular in games one and two. Dropped an egg in, in game three, but did have twelve assists, which we need to note is a, is a huge difference from a certain other point guard who might have had a dud of a game. But Kyle, through the first two games. Drew clearly showed us, okay, the net series, he's not just going to play like that for the whole time. He, he clearly has another level that he was able to go to. And, and it was nice to see him break out of that slump. Yeah, it feels as though with Drew, it was kind of like a, all right, cool. I don't have to chase around James Harden and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving for all the whole series. And I only have Trey Young. And to be fair, like when Trey Young was going off in the third quarter, not a lot of that was when Drew was guarding him. So that was... <sighs> Jeff Teague, for some reason, being in the game and getting cooked like that, and Pat Connaughton, not the point. But no, Drew has, defensively, he's doing enough to cause Trey Young issues. Offensively, in games one and two, he was doing everything he could have asked for. He was hitting shots. He was getting to the rim. He was setting up his teammates. You couldn't really complain about games one and two. Game three, he just couldn't get going offensively. It felt as though every time, like a couple jumpers, didn't like a couple three-pointers, weren't falling and then he kind of stopped taking the threes he was i think what um over three in game three he kind of just stopped doing that he was two of 11 from the floor it was a it's one of those where you kind of just had to sit there and he kind of realized okay maybe i'm not going to get anything going offensively but i know i can make the pass that i need to i can give the ball get the pass to Giannis, let him get to the hoop get the pass to bobby portis 
get the pass to Chris Middleton, like get the ball to someone else and make those right decisions. Because, I mean, if you look at Drew Holiday's shot chart, it's not like he took bad shots. It was just they weren't the shots that he – they just didn't fall. So you know that he kind of realized I can just be a facilitator. I can do my part. And as long as I hold my own defensively, we're going to win this game. Like we have enough other guys I can score on the court right now that I don't have to be the guy to do it all myself. While a certain point guard might have felt like I need to be that guy to do it all myself. And it probably didn't help that, you know, in years past, Chris Middleton wasn't taking those shots either. It didn't help that some teams would be able to effectively put a wall around Giannis. Like it didn't help that Brooke Lopez was bombing threes left and right. And now you see Milwaukee's offense get a little bit smarter. You know, Brooke Lopez, he still takes a couple threes, but they're good looks for three. PG Tucker gets good looks. Everyone's still getting the good looks, but Drew Holiday's now having doesn't have to be the de facto number two scorer. Like if Chris Middleton, like we saw in games one or two, Chris Middleton was struggling, Drew was able to step up. And now in game three, Drew was struggling, but Chris was able to step out. And that's kind of the nice thing with having those two is they can interchange which one is going to be more the facilitator, which one is going to be more I'm going to help the other guys out, and which one's going to be the one to hit the shots. So I think he's going to have a bounce back game. I, I just think game three is just the shots were going down for him. They were good looks. You know, I think there's only like one or two shots where, I, where you kind of look and it's like, why did you take that shot out of his 11? But it'll be fine. I, I think Drew Holiday, as we saw in games one and two, we're probably going to get something closer to that and not what we saw in game three. I'm going to go ahead and take credit for Drew's turnarounds. I like to think that he, he turned on the podcast and he knew that if he did not step up, I was coming to the Instagram comments and it was going to be all summer long. He could be winning gold for the U.S. and Tokyo. That wouldn't matter to me. I'd be in the comment section immediately. And yet... He turned things around when it mattered most in the first two games, especially uh, in the third game as well. Uh, So you're welcome, everyone. Yes, I take credit. And also Drew Drew has something to do with that as well for playing the game. Uh, Kyle hit pretty much all the high points. (laughs) I think uh, super heartening in the first game that he makes like 40, like he went five of 12 from three, uh, you know. It could have been another situation where he keeps calling his number and they're not falling. It goes the other way, great. And... uh, like Kyle was saying, in game three, the shot's not falling. It's not going to be a, I'm going to keep calling my number for out of rhythm step backs. Um, it, it takes a certain level of commitment to be okay with not taking the shots and still finding teammates to put them in position. Uh, and part of that is his vision. Part of that is the fact that the Hawks are not necessarily like an excellent defense, um, but he's just so good credit for that. And then on the defensive end, um, it would probably be a little jarring to go from you're guarding James Harden, who's ostensibly injured or whatever, or Kevin Durant, who has like a foot and a half on you and is one of the greatest scorers in all of league history to somebody like Trey young, where yes, we can switch. Yes. He can kind of leave off his assignment to whoever's switching with him in a pick and roll, but Drew still has to like essentially jam Trey the entire court. Like it's not a full court press, but as soon as he gets near the half court line, Drew is right up on him and he has to keep him in front of him. Otherwise Trey gets ahead of steam and gets heading downhill. And so credit to Drew for, yes, maybe it's not so much a lot of great steals. He's not necessarily totally locking this guy up, but he's doing enough to stay in front and keep Trey contained so that he can hand him off to whoever the next defender is. And there is a skill in that. And it's not that, 
you know, I know you guys keep talking all this mess about Brandon Jennings. I'm sure Brandon would have been able to take care of this no problem on the defensive end. But the difference between Brandon Jennings and Drew Holiday is uh, – <laughs> I was talking about Drew. Luke Rindauer. Thank you very much. Okay. And I think Adam was actually talking about Jorge Gutierrez. So maybe I was off on it completely. But, but uh, the, the main difference is – it's a point of attack without necessarily being a like physical blow you up at a pick point of attack, which was Eric Bledsoe's specialty there. He who shall not be named. Um, it, it's just a lot of credit of it's more of a finesse and that can be a bit tiring. And yet even amongst all that he's producing the offensive end, even if he himself is not scoring. So uh, good job, Drew. Any thoughts on Brooke Lopez so far been kind of a weird series for him. Up and down, the drop coverage, I think, has generally obviously didn't work very well in game one, but it did seem like they kind of got away from it. Game two, they adjusted. They moved him higher up, did the weird octopus thing with his arms and was able to stop Trey Young sometimes from being able to make the pass. Obviously, had great success. And then all of a sudden in game three, Young seems to be on a bit of a heater. He's making some really deep shots. He's making his floaters. He's still not really making any sort of plays in terms of lobs to the rim or anything so i think in general the tactics seem to work in game three for the most part but lopez wasn't quite offering i think they just wanted to give a different look late and they were able to get to a lot of success with the, with the different matchups that they had and atlanta didn't even put another big back on the court late in the game like they they opted not to have capella out there like gallinari and collins were basically their bigs late in the game so i mean if you're gonna do that there's no reason to have brooke lopez out there but I don't know. What have you thought, Kyle, uh, of Lopez so far? I feel like he's been okay. Uh, you know, I kind of said it like game one. I don't know how much of Trey Young going off with the floaters, how much of that is the zone drop being exploited, and how much of it is whoever was guarding Trey Young was a little bit naive and not really and kind of letting him do it. It, it kind of felt like it was just a combination of the point of attack was not defended well enough. And then Brooke was kind of in no man's land because he's not far out to prevent a lob or, you know, he's not deep enough that he can prevent a lob, but he's not far enough in advance to, you know, stop a floater. He was kind of in no man's land. And the adjustment in game two was kind of the, he was farther up so that it forced Ray Young to make tough passes. And then in game three, it's not necessarily that he was doing anything wrong. It's just that Milwaukee had a matchup with Giannis at the five that they could take advantage of. I'm sure if, I mean, with how Chris Milton played, you could have had Brooke Lopez out there and it wouldn't have made a difference. But with the matchup that was out there, it just didn't make sense to bring him back in. And as Milwaukee kept doing better and better throughout that stretch, it, there's no reason to put him back out there. You know, you, you ride with that lineup until it shows you not until it doesn't work. I think Brooke Lopez still offers a lot in that series. Again, if he was out there in game one, they Milwaukee probably gets some of those rebounds. Like he still has been an effective enough player. It just might be a, when it comes to closing time, when it comes to, we need to get this win, you might not be out there, you know, or you just see how it goes. I, I mean, in game two, it was because of Lopez and Giannis causing a lot of chaos that Milwaukee was able to go out, go out on that run. Offensively, he still is able to hit some shots. He's still bullying people down low. He pretty much, I don't know how he continues to like do a lot of the stuff with an apparent slow motion, but he's still doing it. Like it is very impressive. So I think with Brooke, it's kind of a, we're going to start, you're going to start out there. We're going to see how it goes. And if we need to do Giannis at the five, we got to do Giannis at the five, but I don't think Brooke Lopez is 
getting played off of the floor as badly as some people are saying. I just think it's more of a it could work, but we know this will work kind of scenario. And kind of a weird playoffs for Brooke in general, huh? I mean, he almost loses the entire damn season for us in game seven. <laughs> we survive that somehow. Uh, he nearly loses it and then he wins it. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we had the, both the best and the worst of Brooke Lopez in like a five minute stretch. Uh, game one, Trey scores 60 bajillion points off of floors. You're like, oh God, he, he's going to figure out the drop zone uh, or zone drop, whatever the hell we're calling it. Game two, a slight difference. I thought uh, people were really perceptive in saying that the adjustment for Milwaukee doesn't necessarily have to be sub broke out immediately or not have Brooke start at all. It can just be as simple as schematically moving Brooke a little bit closer up. Um, how they, like, for example, have PJ Tucker do switches, whether or not he does switch. Um, Drew being more uh, emphatic and keeping right on top of Trey from behind. That was something that Eric was really good at um, when he was had his mind right, was it, if a guy got past him, he would hound him the entire way, all the way into Brooke Lopez. And that's why the defense was so effective is those two guys played so well off each other. And Drew is because he's slightly more finesse. Um, and because he has to stay in front of Trey pretty much the length of the court. Uh, I think it's easier for Trey to probably get a little bit free. So I, I think Brooke has been fine. Uh, schematically, it's also nice to have him space it out because that pulls Capella out a little bit or whatever big is trying to guard Brookie. It pulls him at least a little bit out. And if then Atlanta is content to watch the other big just get eaten alive by Giannis, that's great for us as well. So there's enough positive in the way of what Brooke is offering out there um, that you don't change him at all. And he's been productive, even if the counting stats are necessarily there. Um, All the other stuff, helping secure rebounds by boxing dudes out, things like that. It's, you know, he's been Brooke Lopez and he's been a really great player for us for three years uh, deep into his career at this point. So. Pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'm gonna let's take a quick break. And on the other side, I have a couple quick topics. Let's hit. So, take a break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy here to get you ready for the big tournament tonight. We'll break down. We break down who will be cutting. Cut. What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hip. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, we're back. I have a few more topics I want to hit from this series, then we'll do a couple miscellaneous things. But uh, first, Bogdan Bogdanovich came in injured, looked better in game three. He's 7 of 28 overall. Uh, Kyle. Karma. Karma, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> all I got for it. Like, this is what you get. Like, you 
that this is what you deserve. Like, I don't care that or Thanasis played 4D chess and leaked at the Walsh. I don't know, but he's clearly not 100%. That knee is bothering him. It's, I think that's probably the biggest thing is that knee isn't looking good enough for him to justify justifiably be out there. He can't hit shots. It is hilarious. I'm enjoying it, but I think if he was healthy, it would he would probably do a little bit better. But I don't know. Like I, I don't feel bad for the guy. Like sucks to suck. <laughs> oh, wow, that's that's extremely well said. The only thing you were missing there, Kyle, was calling him a bum, which I'll do for you. That guy's a bum. That we're not we're a, not there yet. We're yeah. It's a little early in like the series. This or... happens, and this episode gets <laughs> uploaded tomorrow, and then he's gonna hit like eight threes in game four, and I'll be like, oh, oh no. <laughs> Yeah, it's extremely fair. I just think it's so funny. Uh, I don't jump into like opposing SB Nation blogs, the comment section. I think that's lowbrow when people do that. But I do like going over to read and like 60% of the comments on yesterday on Game 3's recap was like, Bogdan needs to be traded in the offseason ASAP. I'm like, man, life comes at you fast, bro. Like, you know, <laughs> you swindle one team, you make $2 million more, and then all of a sudden the fans of that team hate you. That's that's a tough one. That's a tough 360 for him. Uh, or 180. Sorry, I pulled a Jason Kidd there. Um, yeah, I, I have no strong feelings. And maybe he is injured, but hey, man, this basketball. You're saying you're good enough to go. You need that. Uh, you don't get that excuse. If if you're going to go out there and call your own number and say, coach, I can go, then it, to be fair, I don't think he's making that excuse. But if other people are, I mean, that's basketball. You got to shut up about that if you're going to be out there. So, uh, yeah, I hope he continues to shoot awful, and then I hope he gets <laughs> sent back to Sacramento. That would be amazing. So good luck to you, Bogdan, you loser. It's, it's kind of nice seeing the shoot of uh, someone that's supposedly a really good shooter absolutely struggle in a series for once. It's kind of nice seeing it happen to the other team. Yeah, I was going to say, relief. spiritually, you can tell he is a buck because he's supposed to be a great sharpshooter and now he can't hit the broadside of a barn. Very bucksy of him. So I think even if he was only a, a buck for like two seconds there, he got enough contact that it's going to ruin his postseason shooting for the rest of his life. So uh, welcome to the squad, Bogdan. Fantastic point, Riley. I'm pretty sure throughout the playoffs, he has like the largest efficient field goal percentage differential drop from regular season to playoffs. So, I mean, kudos to him. Yeah, the curse of the Bucks. If you come anywhere near us, you are <laughs> never making a three again in your life. That's just not happening. God, that is hilarious. Right, what about the starting lineup? Okay, so there has been a little bit of discussion about P.J. Tucker. He's obviously stayed in over holdover from the Nets series that has allowed the Hawks to kind of hide, hide Trey Young on him. Very clearly, we've seen he is not going to be making baskets, um, seemingly not from the corner either, but or definitely not under the rim. Okay, we, we know that is true. And he hit some big shots in last series, so whatever. I love P.J. Tucker. Yeah. But he, his shot has not been on, and uh, he's really not a threat in the dunker spot. So anyway, what what are your thoughts? Uh, what have you been your thoughts, Riley, on, on Bud opting to hold Tucker in the starting lineup? Uh, I'm totally cool with it. I think uh, PJ definitely earned his starting spot in the last series. You could say strategically, maybe it doesn't make as much sense, but um, the Bucks have gotten it done. They should be up 3-0. They've gotten it done even with that through three games. And I think the role that – who's the other guy who would start? Probably Pat, you would think, would go out there and you just move everybody up. Um, I think Pat has been perfectly suited to the role that he's in right now as the bench spoiler guy, kind of do it all, small ball, switch guy or whatever. Um, and so as long as that keeps working, 
I don't think this, you know if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Is it, the Bucks are getting offense a plenty inside? Yes, you could maybe go at Trey a little bit more, but I'm not even sure what that necessarily looks like because there's already enough struggles for Atlanta. If it becomes a problem where it's like we're getting walled off by everybody else, then you can switch it up. But until Atlanta proves they can do something about it, uh, I wouldn't change anything. Yeah, I kind of in the same boat. Like they, he played about the same amount of minutes as Pat did, so it's not necessarily like he's getting the majority of the minutes or Pat was getting the majority of the minutes. They're still playing equal amount. I say you roll with it. I think there's kind of that you have that mentality of with this lineup, you're not scoring. I was like, that's the mentality I think they're trying to go with and it worked against Brooklyn. So now you go with it this time and it worked relatively well as two. So it's kind of just a don't like I, as much as we criticize Bud for a lot of bad decisions, I don't feel like sticking with the starting lineup is necessarily a bad choice. I understand it. I think he should just keep going with it. You know, I think the biggest problem with game three and how it started was Milwaukee kept doing dumb shit. And, you know, you cut that out, things get better. And I say you go with it. You still keep Pat off the bench. He has the athleticism because then the alternative is then you're going to have to try and find a way to put Bobby and PJ Tucker in at the same time, pretty much off the bench. And then, you're throwing more things off. I, I don't think it's worth messing with it. You go with the winning strategy. You go with what works. And so far through eight, eight games, it's worked pretty well. The other thing that I would advocate, the Bucks should definitely not be looking past the Hawks onto the next series. But there is a value if there's an idea of PJ is going to get the starting nod as well against the, let's say it's the Suns because you know, they're up in their series. Um, they're going to be a little bit more of a load to handle on defense. And you want, I mean, at this point, given the late addition of PJ, the fact they had to sit out so much of the second half of the season, any sort of chemistry, any sort of anything he can build with the other starters, if those are the guys who are going to get a lot of run against whoever the next opponent is, um, there's a value to that as well, where I think so long as the Bucks continue to win the games, there's no need to shake things up. I would tend to agree. I was with Kyle about the they're not going to score on us mentality, and I, I like them carrying that through, and then they just shit the bed in game three, which was tough to watch. But I, in general, I say ride with what you got. Um, one more thing we, I think we should talk about, and then open it up if you guys have any other narratives, but I think we should just touch briefly on the Giannis free throw uh, scenario. Does anyone have any comments on it? Anyone have anything they want to say about it? I just wanted to open up the floor. This is a safe space. Feel okay. free. Kyle and I both threw our heads back in like exasperation. <laughs> Kyle was Kyle's exasperation was a lot better. Kyle, go for it. This is the dumbest thing I've seen in recent NBA history. Like the fact that it, this is getting so blown out of proportion. And the only reason why it's getting blown out of proportion like this is because in freaking game one, the refs decided to actually call the 10 second violation on Giannis when it, I mean, in the regular season, he was going over 10. He probably still is slightly going over 10 now. It's like then you decide in the crunch, in crunch time as well. This wasn't like a one-off at the beginning. of the, This was in crunch time, fourth quarter, and then you call it, and then you start causing all this other free throw controversy, and then, you know, everyone's now counting. And while, as you know, it didn't get brought up as much in Brooklyn series, and then for some reason, Atlanta decides to complain about it. And I think that's also maybe some karma as well. It's like you spent, I think Riley tweeted, like you spent all this time complaining and then you're not focusing on the big picture. You got to think, you got to focus on the important things. This was not one of them. And it's just like, and it's 
considering where these stories are coming from as well. Like this is not coming from the jump. This is not coming from first take. This is not coming from undisputed. This is coming from the fucking athletic. Like you're supposed to be the reputable like source of sports reporting and you're throwing out this garbage consistently. I think David Aldridge had said like, this is the most ridiculous thing. I was like, well then talk to your goddamn colleagues. Cause they're the ones that keep fanning this flame when it doesn't need to be fanned. And I mean, I get why Atlanta's trying to do it. It's the same thing like when Steve Nash was saying, well, this series is get a little bit physical. You're trying to get in the ref's head. But this is one of those where it's like, if you want to call the 10-second violation, fine. But then you have to call the lane violations. You need to call all this other stuff. And I don't want to hear it from Atlanta when Trey Young is basically grifting his way to fouls in a way that James Harden's bum ass would be proud of. It doesn't. You can't sit here and complain about that. So I think it's a dumb controversy. I think the refs just need to decide, are you going to go all in on it or are you not going to call it all? You got to pick one because you can't do this like 50-50 and cause this controversy to continue going because now you've made a bigger mess of it than you needed to. It's really funny. It's overplayed now, but when the Miami fans first came up with the doing the rush 10 seconds, like in the, I thought that was really funny. I was like, oh, that's a good fold on it. Now it's just annoying. Uh, but I want to... I want to salute, give respect to the Bucks fans. We're up by like a bajillion on the Hawks in game two. And I don't know who went to the line, but I think the Bucks fans started doing the 10 second call on him or whatever. <laughs> I was like, that's good. Good turnabout. So I think it's been fun for like the theater of like the fans or whatever. And if it was just literally just the fans being annoying, that would be totally one thing. No big deal at all. It's all the players. Like, I mean, obviously I have no respect for James Harden. I remember like TNT last night, they did like a, oh, look at James Harden. I was like freaking out during this long Giannis thing. Don't these guys want rest between like <laughs> the action? And also on top of that, it's not like Giannis was making a really good number of free throws on his old routine. I'm like, you know, maybe you're chancing like, oh, he'll shoot even worse. I mean, can he? He's sure. already, uh, <laughs> like, you're going to Ben Simmons bum territory then. And I don't know if he's going to get that bad. <laughs> I know. It's just, it's strange to me because, um, you know, I get it from the fans. It's funny. It's whatever. Uh, the media thing is just stupid and boring and definitely does not reflect well on them and their capacity to speak about the game in any sort of like interesting manner. Um, but like the players, I don't get that at all. I'm like, you're not really gaining. It's probably just all you're doing is asking Giannis to baptize John Collins in the open court. And that is not something I would be chancing. So if I was an opposing player, Taking a breather, I just keep my mouth shut. But that's just me. I'm not an NBA player, so what do I know? Yeah, the, the, I find the players throwing up their arms, all that kind of stuff. The, the cut to the coaches on the sidelines saying it, it, it. It's absolutely insufferable. The one, like you said, Riley, the one fun part is the refs, the fans having some fun with it. It's definitely, sorry, it's definitely not the refs. The refs are not fun at all. Mm-hmm. They, they have not made anything fun. But the one fun part is the fans. I also just cannot stand the insufferable dialogue that happens throughout the free. Honestly, during Giannis's free throw routine, I hope Marvelbert has to read a really shitty can sponsored ad. Like I, I hope he has to <laughs> and read he still an will screw King- that up. Please read an, please read an animal <laughs> kingdom ad. That's technically for claws, right? Like that is what he's going to do. Please. I am begging you to do that because I can't take, it is, they are, they are beating the, the, the horses died. They had to get a second one. It they died. Yes. A second dead horse. <laughs> to beat as well and it is so awful to hear it's not good commentary it's not it's not funny it's not insightful in terms of basketball and and it's actively you sort of actively uh it disallows interesting analysis that you could have 
He is he's on the line for so long. You could show a play that guess what? You didn't show two plays ago that might have actually had something interesting and insightful for you to comment on, Reggie Miller. Instead, you are just talking absolute bullshit that no one cares about. No one likes someone who enforces tight rules. No one's ever liked the taskmaster. No one's ever mm-hmm. liked someone who likes rules. Those people are awful. Ergo, all of the Bucks opponents and their coaches are absolutely awful. There we to go. be to be fair to TNT, they're doing what Atlanta's doing, hide and trade. They're hiding Reggie Miller. They're like, if we can have <laughs> Reggie try to speak about basketball, we're in a really tough spot. So they what they do instead is they're like, we gotta go to Marv. Marv has to call his own number during the <laughs> during the free throw routine. So because they, they couldn't possibly ask Reggie to break down a basketball game. That would be it would be beyond his capabilities. So it's like this is Marv, go out there, get some shots up. So, you know, I understand what TNT is doing. But yes, it's very, it's the lowest hanging fruit. Again, all the the worst parts about basketball, modern basketball, we've seen throughout this entire, like this postseason run. We've seen the super team that's an affront to like any sort of organic competition. We've seen like lazy media who doesn't care about like any sort of meaningful discussion at all. Uh, We see, saw the Miami Heat they're the Miami Heat who are a front to God. I mean, it's been a bad run for us. So as long as you keep proving the haters wrong, that's all that matters at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, again, this isn't... If Giannis was shooting, you know, 70, 80, 90%, fine, make this complaint. But he's shooting like 52%. It's a 50-50 he's going to make it every time he shoots the ball. Why are we making this a bigger mm-hmm. deal? It, like, this is just dumb. It's just absolutely dumb. And it didn't need to get this dumb. It's atrocious. It's dominating the Giannis narrative. It's so freaking annoying. I'm so sorry that there's a superstar who doesn't, who plays a little bit differently than how every single analytics says you're supposed to play in modern mm-hmm. basketball. I know that sucks. I know it sucks. I know we all need to play the same, whatever. It's annoying. Any other storylines from this series that we want to hit before we just hit some miscellaneous stuff? ESPN. Well, then again, it makes sense because once Giannis signed that super next, like, all right, how do we degrade this man even more? Okay. <laughs> free throws. Yes. Great call. Good job. We're going to run all the slander pieces. Okay, sorry. That, that was my last thing on that. The the other slander piece that we need to talk about, this Batman and Robin bullshit that we keep oh, going on God. about. Kendrick Perkins, I see you in the street. Oh. I'm not fighting you because you would absolutely <laughs> rip me in half. But I'm going to look at you with a skeptical look in my eye, my friend, because you need to – you have to clear the Reggie Miller bar, and you're struggling to do that, my man. I know you're a big guy, but you can do better than the Batman and Robin discussion. I think we already had this in the middle of the season. Where it was like, oh, the Bucks closer might not be Giannis, and that's okay. I'm like, yeah, it is okay because he closes by scoring 15 points up until the final two minutes of the game, and he says, hey – Let's have the amazing jump shooter guy take a couple shots. How about that? If it works, who cares? Who's, I, I think the whole, the need, like Kyle said, the the like degrading nature, you would think almost any other player, man, he would be on this pedestal. I mean, Luka is the, Luka Doncic is the biggest whiner. There's so many whiners in this league. He's a huge whiner. And yet everybody, oh my God, Luka. I love Luca. Don't you love Luca? I love Luca. Mark Cuban loves Luca. Jason Kidd loves Luca, apparently. Everybody loves Luca. And yet, Giannis is out here, lunch pail guy. Amazing story. He plays with so much pizzazz. It's so much strength. It's so much aggression. Everything about it is awesome. And yet they can't respect the guy. I don't, I don't understand. I 
if it's just simply a, I can't believe he signed in a Supermax or signed the Supermax with a small city. I mean, whatever, blow it out the behind. But like, it's just, it, it's frustrating this discussion how Giannis does everything and he can't get any sort of plaudits. And I hope that just fuels him. Because, and I think it does too. I think he's just out to be like, hey man, I'm having a good time. I'm winning awards. I'm stunting on people. We're getting the win at the end. He said it last night. He's like, I don't care about taking the final shot. I'm sure part of him does want to take the final shot, but he's reached a point in his career. He's like, Chris is hot. Chris is going to be better, like better from three or whatever. Just give Chris the ball. Let's just go win the game. And that, that reflects well on him. and does not reflect well on the rest of the league. So, Why are we so obsessed with Batman? He's not even like that good of a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> like. It's freaking Batman. Like, he's just a dude with a suit and a lot of money. Like, great. You're just pretty much the 1% if they can live out their stupid fantasy. Like, you're not, it's freaking Batman. Like, why do we care so much about him? Like, it is who, really, it, like yeah. when you're growing up as a kid, maybe you want to be Batman. But once you're an adult, once you actually can, like, form your own opinion, like, learn about other superheroes, you don't want to be Batman. Like, no, like you might as well just be Iron Man. You might as well get the cooler stuff and you get like all the money and you get more money and you get more weapons like that. No one wants to be Batman when they're an adult. Okay, like if you want to be Batman, if you're an adult, you need to grow up. And then the worst part was people had to justify like, well, Batman's a guy. He's got like a bunch of different moves and tools. I'm like, oh, my God, you're actually going in and like trying to analyze these guys. as comic No, Batman is just a bum that can fight some people with a big ass suit and a cool car. Like all Batman's got for him is a car. You take away the car. No one wants to be Batman. Anyways, I just wanted to hit up on the Batman Robin talk. Uh, obviously, like everything else surrounding talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, it's stupid, asinine, and not worth our time. And it again reflects very poorly on the people saying it. I mean, it's I can't think of a, another league whose media partner does such a shit job at promoting the league in a positive sense. Like, yes, the NFL has its flaws, especially in the media. Like, they maybe make Tom Brady seem greater than he is. But at the very least, they're not just like if Buffalo does well, they're all for it. If San Diego ever does well, they'll all be all for it. If there's a dude that's on a small team, they will make that dude as good as possible. And yet in the NBA, that's not the case. MLB, they just don't know who their stars are at this point. NHL, they try their best. And the problem is it's the NHL. (laughs) The NBA is the one league where it's like, oh, there's this really talented dude. Oh, he's on a small market. Okay, screw it. Oh, the Phoenix Suns are possibly going to make the finals. Yeah, but it's Phoenix. No one likes Phoenix. Screw that. What are we doing? <laughs> like, what? Like, I, I stopped caring about national media's attention because in the last few years, just because it's like, I don't know why I would want, like, getting their validation is not, it's not really worth, you know, stressing over at this point. Like, they're, they've made up their mind. They know what they want. And you just have to accept that. Uh, my my only other thing that I want to touch on before we get to miscellaneous and wrap things up. Uh, anybody else want to say some kind words? Adam, we already Kyle and I said kind words about Pat Connaughton. Do you have any kind words to say about Pat Connaughton? He was plus twenty five in thirty two minutes of an actual <laughs> Eastern Conference Finals game. So I mean, uh, there is plenty of good stuff to say about Pat. I mean, <laughs> d- literally, dude withstood the Brooklyn Nets. He was the sick only other man that Bud trusted <laughs> to play minutes against the Brooklyn Nets. That is that that just said that's that squashes every single every single thing on the court that we want to say about Pat Connaughton. And and that's all we needed to see. The, the dude the dude tries hard, 
when guys are in the post against him. And just credit to those guys for making shots over him because that dude is not a pushover. He tries his hardest. He's hitting threes at a decent clip. I know he went, I think he went over five in the first game, but like dude's streaky. He's been hitting some. He had some clutch play where he dove on the ground, got an out of bounds call off Trey Young. I mean, I'm, there's not much more good stuff. I mean, there, there's plenty of good stuff to say about Pat Condon. So kudos to him. Quintessential bench guy who does a bunch of different small things that you need to help tide you over when the starters aren't out or if you're just out there. So it's salute to you, Pat. Uh, Bryn, start making some more shots, buddy. Yeah, Bryn, you need to make shots or not play. You, you can't have Bryn heavy offense if you're going to be throwing up bricks. Can't do it. Yeah, absolutely. Also, the, the Kendrick Perkins thing, this is a situation where I needed someone to at him. I, I, I didn't understand what the discourse was about all day, and I just found out right now what the Batman and Robin stuff was about. I had no yeah. idea where it's God bless so there was some you, good European soccer matches going on that I decided I'm not going to waste my time on this. <laughs> the thing that I respect the most about Kendrick Perkins is he flip-flops like the craziest I've ever seen because one tweet will be like, I think Giannis is maybe the worst player ever. Carry on. And then the next tweet will be literally five minutes later. I think Giannis is the best player ever. Carry on. I respect Perk. I respect Big Perk for just constantly. He's just, yeah, I'm not sure what term I'm trying to look for, but it's just constantly he's looking for the right move. He's, he's adjusting at all times to whatever like the hot take at the moment is. So he's got that going for him. Okay, real quickly though. Prognostication outlook for the rest of the series. What, what are we thinking, Kyle? I will hesitantly say Bucks in five. If Milwaukee wins game four, it's over. My only concern is does Milwaukee come out flat again in game four and this time they can't recover? Or if one of Atlanta's role players does shoot lights out, regardless of what Trey Young does. I still think Milwaukee wins game four. I think they know what they need to do. They've treat. They've now treated the seriously. They've. They actually seem to have put it all together. And they know what they need to do to stop Trey Young. So now, despite playing like garbage for three and a half quarters and winning Game Three, I think they go into Game Four a little bit more confident. So I'll say they win that, and then clinching at home. It's gonna. That arena might actually be super super loud. Pfizer Four might get loud enough that it brings you back to the Bradley Center, and they'll clinch it at five. I'll be right there with Kyle. Uh, I thought game one, they probably were coming off of the high of the Brooklyn. They just survived. like the, They looked death in the face and they won. And to come off of that physically, emotionally, you have your wake-up call game. I think game three is going to be similar. It's a wake-up call like, hey, we have to play more serious. I think they'll get game four off of that. You know, We saw game two, they serious up and then they totally crushed the Hawks. And like Kyle said, you get to get back home. I think at that point, the series wrap. And then you know, do we want to do long-term prognostication? Because let's just get through the series first. I'm waiting. Let's get through the series first. Just the series. Jeez. Jeez, Riley. <laughs> I was just going to say that Giannis is going to win another MVP one day, but whatever. Fine. You guys can pop my bow. I don't care. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, okay. I like that. <laughs> I still don't trust this team. Okay. Yeah. Let me. Yeah, I know. I know. This oh. is a toxic relationship. Sorry. What about you, Adam? What, what do you think? Uh, I, I had Bucks in six before the series started, but I, I, I think if I don't know, I don't understand what was up with Trey Young's ankle. Clearly, yeah, he was just doing all ball stuff in, in game three, late in the thing. He seemed actually kind of okay when he was on ball, but I, I think that probably was like him using whatever juice. If if he's hobbled in any way, I, I just don't think that they're going to be able to 
put up the firepower. I also think he's due to probably have a little bit of regression in the next game. And I, I don't know. I, I think I don't trust this Bucks team, but I also think they're they're just so clearly mentally different than than past Bucks teams, especially the, the 2019 team and yeah, last year too. So I I just think this might be a situation where they're just Atlanta doesn't have enough margin for error, and the Bucks have plenty of it, and I, I think they're going to be able to come out and probably close it out in five. So, all right, let's do a couple real quick. These are rapid fire miscellaneous topics, and then we'll get to Kyle's film review. Cheryl Crow, big Bucks fan. Riley, what have you thought of this revelation? I thought she was Shania Twain for a week and a half. Sorry, Cheryl. But I think Shania Twain would have been a cooler pull anyhow. But if Cheryl, if you want to come on the podcast, you're always welcome. Honestly, I could not tell you any. I know who Cheryl Crow is. Is she was she the one that's with Tim McGraw? Like is that is that who it is, or is that someone else? I think that's that might be Shania Twain. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> so Kyle clearly had the same issue that I had as of I, a week and a half ago. Like Cheryl Crow is one of those where it's like I've heard the name, I could not tell you any music that she's done. I couldn't name a song, but it's cool that there are still known people that are Milwaukee Bucks fans. Like that is kind of a cool thing, at least. So good on her. I couldn't tell. Is she? Why is she a Bucks fan? Did she? I, I didn't watch the full Zora interview. Her her son, um, I think her son's name is Levi, is like a big Giannis fan, and they didn't have any sort of ties to. I think they like live in Memphis or something, but they didn't have any ties locally to that because she's from Missouri or something. Mm. And so her son is a really big Giannis fan, so they kind of just threw that. Like a lot of other people, I'm sure worldwide Greek people, people who are just latecomers on, they become Bucks fans through Giannis. I think was the deal. Apparently, Cheryl Crow dated Eric Clapton. And Owen Wilson at one point, um, and also dated Lance Armstrong. So, jeez, I was really off. Now I got to figure out who who's that person with Tim McGraw. <laughs> huh. Okay. Well, well, that's cool. It's pretty cool that Giannis could bring in just like a random, a random kid from from Memphis or whatever as a fan. Uh, I asked my wife who would be cooler, Cheryl Crow or Shania Twain, and my wife said Cheryl Crow. I mean, she's like a real artist. She plays some rock Whoa. songs. First cut Whoa. is the deepest. Um, so first cut oh. is the deepest. Yeah. If it makes you happy. So um, every way is a winding road or whatever that song. So those are a couple of the Cheryl Crow tracks. I mean, <laughs> Kyle, I don't want to be running through Kyle's mind. Now. He's like, <laughs> I don't want to tell I, me I, any song title. And I'll be like, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> It's cool. I don't want to poop on it too much. I did think it was a little, uh, a little thirsty that like one semi celebrity who isn't isn't that big anymore comes out very fucks, and we all why, like just completely. If we lose have our all minds. this, why aren't we interviewing Gucci Mane? What the hell? Gucci's been with the squad for years now, and we have yet to do an interview with them. That's Gucci's the real been tragedy. there since 2019. Like what? That is true. That is true. Uh, so anyway, yeah. Um, okay, real quick before the film review. Jason Kidd is hired as the Dallas Mavericks head coach. I just, just real quick, just go ahead and Kyle, just go ahead and, and take the floor. So it is 2021. So by November of 2023, this thing will have crashed and burned and he will be fired. Luca might still be on the team. Who knows? But yeah, that team, good luck to Dallas. Then again, it makes sense that an organization ran by Mark Cuban, who is just completely narcissistic as hell, would hire one of the most narcissistic head coaches in the league. Good luck, Dallas. You're going to need it. Yeah, I uh, it, again, I love going in and watching the car crash from inside the car. So when the news broke out, I went to Mavs Moneyball. I went immediately to the comments and I saw everybody doing 
the craziest water carrying I've ever seen. I ain't never doing that for the Bucks. I'll tell you that much. If they do something like that, I'm never going to bat for them. Learn from our mistakes. It's not like Jason Kidd had just the one single season in Brooklyn that was like a weird like KG, Paul Pierce, whatever season. He had multiple seasons here where he ruined the culture from top to bottom. He did a lot of damage to like whatever, like he, I hate the whole like, oh, you got to credit him with Giannis's growth. Giannis is such a different guy that I'm not even sure it would have mattered because he just takes on whatever from whoever who's coaching him. Uh, but he first, Jason Kidd for sure ruined Jabari Parker. He ruined like the chemistry of those teams. Everybody hated him. He's obviously <laughs> given his past personal history. Um, you know, I know people like to talk about it. You got to give somebody else a second chance. I haven't heard anything about Jason Kidd being all that, uh, you know, torn up about the domestic violence back in the day or doing a lot of work. That's not to say that he didn't do it, but I'm not hearing it. And I can't imagine the Mavs were doing a lot of look in given the way that it was a clown show hiring process. And so, again, another team out there who is doing things that do not reflect well on them. Uh, I don't understand uh, the process that went into it. And like Kyle said, I, I don't even wish him luck. I, you know, this guy sucks. He should not have a job as a head coach, as somebody who is a leader of other men in the league. That should not be the case. So I shame on you, Dallas. Shame on you, Mark Cuban. Uh, you know, and good on you, Rick Carlisle, for getting the hell off the Titanic. You're like, I'm going to Indiana. How, how much does that speak to you as a franchise that you, the guy wants to go to Indiana instead? Think about that for a second, Dallas. Think I did see a that. tweet where someone's like, Rick Carlo was waiting for the Bucks job to open up, and then they won game seven, and then it left. So they decided to take the Indiana job. Uh, I mean, Milwaukee is like the Indiana with like a nicer lake. So, I mean, you know, it, either way, it all proves that, you know, Dallas sinking ship does not reflect well on them. So it's it's not good. Agreed. I, I don't really have anything good to say about Jason Kidd. It's really stupid that he has a job, and uh, he's literally just coasting off the fact that Frank Vogel looked like he was going to wash out of the league, gets the Lakers job, wins a championship, and everyone mm-hmm. hopes that Jay Kidd can do the same thing. Absolutely yeah. probably won't happen. So anyway, Kyle, close us out with a film review. All right, so it's a movie called Late Night. It uh, stars Mindy Kaling, Kaling and um, Emma Thompson, uh, the British one. And it's kind of like a – it's about this late night – TV personality, kind of like a Conan or Seth Meyers or Jimmy Fallon, like one of those where they have a late night show. But obviously, it's it's a very outdated show. The per- everyone's saying this person's washed. It's pretty much struggling. It's going to get canned. Like it's definitely a how do we get the show back to being funny? And then that's they kind of learn as the movie goes on. Like oh, here are some jokes that you should make. Here are some things that you should do. And then like Mindy Kaling's character doesn't really have a background in like TV writing, so it's kind of like a you don't. You don't know what you're doing. You're not part of this industry. So it was all right. Like it was a solid. We, Emma and I, my wife and I just tried finding a movie to watch one night and it came on. I was like, okay, this is worth a shot. I give it like a six out of 10. Like it's not bad. It's not like the best movie ever. Like it's a fine. If you want to burn a couple hours to watch a movie, why not give it a chance? There's some comedy in it. So yeah, six out of 10. It's on Amazon Prime. That um <clears throat> that movie review sounded a lot like the Eastern Conference Finals up, up until this point. <laughs> a lot of comedy. It was fine. You know, it'll burn a couple hours on a weeknight. That feels a lot like the Hawks-Bucks Eastern Conference Finals so far as well. So you're continuing your theme of the movie reviews reflect very closely on what's happening in the <laughs> real world. 
Well, we can only hope that the series also comes to a quick end, as is maybe uh, Kyle felt when that when the movie was hitting the slow parts. If there ever one one, so hopefully Bucks win this out. They're hopefully they're able to win Game Four, close it out in Game Five. But uh, regardless, whether they whether they close it out or whether the series prolongs, we'll, we'll probably be back with you next week. So. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Go to brewhoop.com. We've got a lot of coverage up there. We'll continue to have coverage for all these playoff games. Follow us on Twitter. Share the podcast with your friends, and we will talk to you again soon. Bye.